The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times, and longtime friend of the show, Scooter Vertino, the Senior Vice President of Programming and Production for Turner Sports. And I'm amazed that he actually has time to join us here on the podcast, because Scooter, like The Exorcist, well, not The Exorcist, but the Linda Blair character. The Exorcist's head wasn't spinning. It was Linda Blair's character's head was spinning. Scooter, I mean, so that way you don't have to touch on everything. Maybe I'll forget something, but fresh off of your NBA postseason coverage, NHL postseason coverage uh, resumes tonight with the Western Conference Finals. Angels at Yankees also tonight on Turner Sports, and the match. And, of course, that's known here uh, in uh, Western New York uh, by the Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers golf tournament out in Las Vegas, which is where you are. You're coming to us live from there. Scooter, what, uh, what do you even have time to think about um, of, of all these things going on? Well, it's it's almost as though you're you're playing station to station baseball, right? You want to you want to get on, get them over, get, get on, get over, get them in. Um, and so I think that's kind of what we've been doing. The month of May has been a true whirlwind for us, with um, you know the advent of the uh, the addition of the NHL to our portfolio, which has been fantastic. So it really was every other night NBA, NHL, and then on Tuesdays on TBS, as you mentioned, uh, MLB. So uh, there, is, there is a lot. Our, our cup runneth over, which is a great problem to have. Um, and, and tomorrow with the match, which is always something very exciting for us, we'd, we'd like to think that those are, you know, fun runoffs or fun runoffs, fun one-offs for us. Um, and I would think that in, uh, in Western New York, it would just be referred to as the Josh Allen Invitational. Uh, but uh, yeah, all, all very exciting. We're, we're, we are very excited. Um, and uh, I appreciate the, uh, the, for, for our demographic, the, the current uh, pop culture reference to the, uh, to the exorcist, uh, the people Googling right now to try and figure out where that came from, but uh, no, it's awesome. And then, you know, on NBA TV, um, you know, where, you know, sleep is optional these days, um, you know, they're going to have pre and post, um, every game day for the finals and, um, and every off day as well. So they're, you know, they're going zero to 60 for the next, you know, two plus weeks, depending on how long that series goes. So yeah, there, there is a lot going on. Um, and like you said, I'm currently in Vegas and, and um, we're, we're super excited about, you know, everything. Uh, but, uh, 
you know, the, the fact that, you know, we're going to have these four incredible uh, quarterbacks competing with one another on our air for several hours is, uh, is pretty awesome. I don't think that Googling uh, the exorcist scenes are necessary because they're so iconic, but because much of this audience of Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK (laughs) CPAs and business consultants is based in Western New York. If you do feel the need to Google Linda Blair, also add Rick James on there. You're going to learn some interesting things. Uh, And of course, if you're not 18 or older, uh, forget what I just said. But uh, Linda Blair and Rick James uh, had, uh, well, let's just say uh, some of his lyrics uh, came from his relationship with Linda Blair. Um, I digress. Uh, You're going to be drawing a lot of Western New York sports fans here over the next couple of days. Obviously, Josh Allen tomorrow night. They're Yankees fans. Huge, huge here. Uh, Everybody uh, seems to want to tune in, whether you love the Yankees or hate the Yankees, but uh, Western New York. Uh, is a big uh, draw there. And then, of course, hockey and uh, what's going on in, in the Western Conference Finals uh, and Connor McDavid making his deep run, which I, I love to see because I think him being exposed to more people, the better. Um, Vander Kane. Uh, Vander Kane. Uh, I'm sorry, point. Kane Smythe, as I, I've been calling him, uh, because, yeah. uh, boy, what a, what a kick in the slats that would be uh, for Sabres fans so fresh after Ryan O'Reilly. Um, but Scooter, you're a big Western New York honk. Uh, what's your uh, how how you feeling here about things uh, with Josh Allen? Uh, you've, you, I don't know if you've been around him or had a chance to interact, but uh, you, this is your team. Uh, you have a lot of roots from Western New York, even though you were raised in uh, in the D.C. area, uh, Canisius College, the whole thing. Um, what, what how's how's your how's your fandom handling this job? Yeah, it's interesting because, um, you know, you always like to have that uh, line of demarcation between your professional life and your your sports fan life. And because we don't have the NFL, um, that's never really an issue uh, for me when it comes to the Bills. But it is interesting to uh, to have, you know, Josh um, uh, included in this group um, because I think that, uh, you know, for right or for wrong, that uh, Bills fans have been kind of trying to push a boulder up a hill for a while with regard to, uh, you know, national acclaim and respect when it comes to their team. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, um, uh, you know, it's great. It's great. Now, as far as, you know, the team, um, and expectations, I think we had this discussion before the season last year. And I think I, I said something to you, Tim, about you, you asked what the, uh, what the uh, 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 trying to think here, what the um, expectation would be or the happy part of, of that, you know, when it came to what, what would be acceptable, I guess, as a fan. Right. And I think I said something to the effect of, you know, getting one more winning a game and getting closer than they were previous or, or whatever. Um, And I I think now everyone just has to kind of, you know, hunker down and just assume that it's, you know, that the, the team is better. The players have developed, um, you know, the coaching staff has an idea of what they want to do. Um, The front office behind Brandon Bean and the ownership has proven that they are willing to 
take the necessary steps, spend the necessary money, get creative with the cap. I mean, the moves that Brandon Bean has made this offseason, I mean, there's no, there's no drama. You know, there's, you, don't, you, you hear about all this stuff with all these other teams. You don't, now, part of that could have been that he knew where there were some pressure points and he took time to make sure that those were taken care of early, but that's his job. And so, um, you know, you put all that together, plus the, the addition of Von Miller. Um, and, you know, there's a reason that people smarter than the three of us think that they are a Super Bowl favorite. So um, hopefully that does come to fruition. Look, like all Buffalo sports fans, I'm always hesitant because you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And we've seen it time and time again. So um, it's, it's just one of those things that you're always uh, uh, optimistically guarded. Um, but it is, it is exciting to see them going into this season um, as the most definite, you know, hunted versus, you know, maybe if they could get by this team or that team. And I look, I could be sugarcoating what happened at the end of Kansas city because, you know, it is what it is. There's nothing that can be done about it. Uh, but, you know, it is an exciting time and, it, and, and I'm, I'm as curious and as anxious as this, the next person to see what happens. Um, and then, you know, look, as, as far as, as the, the Sabres are concerned, I think that there's a ton of room to be optimistic with them and to see what they've done and how they, how they have played and, and, and down the stretch. Um, you know, I think you and I communicated, Tim, down, down the stretch of the season. It was, uh, you don't want to find false hope because sometimes I was equivalent, uh, equating it to uh, baseball teams that go on a run in September that are out of it when they bring all their guys up from AAA and, and they start, you know, blowing doors down the stretch. And it's, it's kind of, you know, um, it's not a true indicator. Um, but I, I think the difference maybe is that the, the Sabres were doing it against quality competition. And I think there, there's something to be seen from that. And if UPL can stay healthy and they, you know, and they're able to, you know, stay healthy because that seems to be the, the bugaboo. And, and by the way, that, that was an issue with the Bills for a long time. And then the last couple of years, I think you've, you've actually talked about this on previous shows, they've really stayed healthy and that's been a huge reason. Um, and as I take this answer even longer, look no further than what's going on in the NBA. I mean, the teams that are able to get through the grind of the playoffs healthier than most are the ones that you see advancing a lot further than everybody else. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence. Scooter with so much on your plate here, we're talking, uh, you know, you know, the NBA finals switch over to ESPN. Uh, but still, uh, you're a huge basketball guy, and it was just on your air. Uh, big baseball game tonight as far as the regular season goes with a lot of star power at Yankee Stadium. The NHL postseason, the match involving uh, the best player on your favorite team and his arch rival and arch rivals, his boyhood heroes, you know, the greatest of all time we're talking in the, in the greatest right now. How are you able to, or I guess I should say, how much are you able to enjoy it because it's so much work and it is kind of a, a burden with all these things happening at the same time. How are you able to enjoy it? It's um, you guys know this because you guys work in sports. Like there are people that have real jobs and I say real, like look, we are, we have expectations, hey. right? And we all have bosses and we have to perform or we have to, you know, reach a certain level of, of, um, you know, expectation or goal-driven uh, situations in order to keep our jobs. But, you know, we're not first responders. We're not teachers. We're not, you know, 
We're not the guy who's punching a clock or the, the woman that's punching a clock or working two jobs, you know, various shifts to feed your kids and things like that. Like Ernie Johnson has a saying, which I like, which is that we have a, a get to job, not a have to job. Like we get to come to work and do this. We don't have to come to work and do this. We don't look at it as a burden. Um, and yeah, look, there's a lot, absolutely. And, and, but, you know, if you had told me at the age of, you know, 18, Hey, they're going to pay you money to watch sports on television. And you're going to do that for a long time. I'd be like, where do I sign up? I mean, other than playing, is there anything better than watching? I mean, I, I you know, and I say playing and coaching because I think they all kind of flow together, but um, so yeah, look, there's a lot. Um, How much do you really get to watch? Because you have to constantly put out fires in the production side. And, and I guess the way I'm asking this question is on Sunday afternoons or Monday nights, because we can't just have that blanket phrase anymore for bills games because they do play on any, any possible night that you can play in the NFL and as a prime time draw. But when you're able to sit back and watch your bills and that's, that's a fun endeavor, but when it's on your air, it's, it's gotta be a little more. Oh yeah. Anything, uh, anything on our air is you, you look at it with a much more critical eye. Right. And, um, you know, my wife claims that I ruined TV watching for her when we started dating years ago. And, you know, now you're pointing out there's a lack of continuity or that edit was off or, you know, something like that in Ozark, which has nothing to do with the bills or the savers or the match for that matter. But, um, and I shouldn't say Ozark, it's probably a very fine show that doesn't have those issues, but um, yeah, you look at it completely different and, and, and you don't necessarily, and I look, I would argue that, even if your team is playing a lot of times, you know, that, you know, the people that probably enjoy playoffs are people whose teams are not playing in the playoffs. Everyone else has no nails left and they've ground their, their teeth down to a fine white mist. And, um, um, you know, and then, uh, sorry about that. I think we lost my, my side for a second. And, all right. and um, you know, and, and you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're going through Twitter, you're doom scrolling on Twitter to see what, you know, what happened. Why is Jerry Hughes not in the game right now? You know, like what, what's going on with that? And, and, um, and, and that type of thing, or Joe Biscali is giving the updates on the latest punt competition. Um, so, you know, look, it, it, it is different um, for sure. For sure. It's different. And um, if there weren't fires to be put out, then people like me probably wouldn't have a gig. So, um, you know, if everything ran smoothly and seamlessly, um, there wouldn't be a compound of, you know, a couple hundred people here running around in the dry heat of uh, the Las Vegas sun trying to make sure that everything is okay tomorrow. So, um, no, that's fine. Those are challenges that are presented to us, like in every line of work. Um, And so um, if it is a game and one of my teams is playing, I'm usually able to figure out how to watch it and and to, and to enjoy it as well. Are you going to be watching the match as a Bill's Josh Allen fan in any ways? And is it different with some of those rooting interests involved? (coughs) Um, Probably, but I will also be watching it from a, okay, are we going to get to, X amount of holes so that we're not going off the air super early, you know, and we can, we can segue seamlessly into the post game show, which is the quarterback conversation, you know? So, um, but no, I, I think to your point, I'll, I'll be, you know, I'll be rooting for them. No question. Um, and, uh, 
but but also in the back of my head going, okay, how does this set us up for later? I suppose um, what, what I'm getting at is does this game, does this match matter to Bills fans and, and Bills nation? Does if Josh Allen can get a win over Tom Brady or is it pure spectacle and all about the trash talk and things like that? I think this is much more entertainment um, from, from, a, from my fandom point of view, but from what I understand, you know, Josh Allen is a, a big time competitor. So I'm sure he probably likes to play along and he is selling it as such, you know, as, as trash talking and all that, but I'm sure he wants to, he wants to absolutely win this. I'll note uh, for everybody, uh, you need to know what times uh, the match uh, and the pregame and the postgame begin. Uh, the show begins at 6.30 on TNT with competition scheduled to begin at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So there'll still be uh, plenty of daylight out on the, in the Pacific time zone out in Las Vegas. And then afterwards, uh, as Scooter alluded to, a postgame show called The Quarterback Conversation. Uh, with Ernie Johnson uh, speaking to the four participants um, uh, about uh, quarterbacking uh, more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, so that is football programming, I think. Uh, so I think yeah. you've, you yeah. have football programming thrown in there on top of the baseball and, uh, and the hockey. <laughs> sure. Why not? Why um, not? When I first got to, when I first got to TNT and Turner sports, we did have the NFL. So it's a little bit of a throwback. For those wondering, I guess I shouldn't just uh, have it be assumed that everybody knows Scooter's background. He has been a guest on the show, both uh, the podcast and terrestrially, and uh, I reference him often. Uh, Scooter's father is from Western New York, which is how Scooter became a Bills fan. Uh, Scooter's uncle, Nelson Savello, has his name on the business center at Canisius College. And uh, so uh, that's where it was uh, an organic uh sports fandom. It wasn't because the bills uh, were the team to, uh, to like, and scooters, a bandwagon jumper it's in his DNA. Um, how has this felt for you, scooter, as somebody who knows, uh, and captures great moments of jubilation. I'll go back to the old wild world of sports uh, mantra of the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. It is, it's what you do. Uh, but to have the team that you root for, for so long, just be that, was it a downhill skier? Or was it a ski jumper? Uh, just totally wipe out and, and end yeah. up in the in the in the net and the fans uh, for twenty years. Um, and now here you go. You you have a Josh. You know, the, the the best player on your favorite team is is uh, is a big enough celebrity that he is competing in the match, uh, a, a golf event. Uh, he's that big uh, that he's one of four guys. It's like OJ Simpson on Battle of the Network Stars. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, yeah, I, I it, it is, it, if you had told me, and I think you and I probably had this conversation more than once when the Bills hired Sean McDermott and gave him the keys to the car that they were going to get to the playoffs every year he was the coach except for one. And, and not only that, but, but, they were going to be so good that they would be expected to win it all or else the season would be disappointed. I, I would have, I would have fainted after the 17 seasons, 18 years or 18 seasons, 17 years. I forget the actual math now of the drought. Um, and so um, it's uh, it, it, it's amazing because I think when, 
when, uh, you know, Josh Allen came out, um, there were certain moments that you saw where he was spectacular. Um, and I usually go to a, a Bills game a year, and typically I go to the one probably closest to where I live, and I go to the game in Miami. And as you guys know, he's owned the Dolphins, just owned the Dolphins. Matter of fact, I think the only game he lost was uh, to Miami was when Charles Clay couldn't, couldn't bring in the fourth down pass from midfield. And even in that game, he had, I think he had like 180 yards rushing or something ridiculous before he kind of became who he is now. Um, you know, I've spoken to, and, and, I, and I assume you guys have as well, I've talked to front office personnel in various sports, and, and they always have a very um, a specific consensus when it comes to judging talent. And, and you know, when guys come out of school, uh, first-round picks generally, you know, no matter the sport, all very talented people, no matter the sport. It's their job to figure out which one of those guys or gals, depending on your sport, is talented and has the drive to work. And obviously there was something within Josh Allen that they saw that was like, okay, this kid has all the measurables. You know, he's, he's built like a power forward plus 25 pounds. He can throw the ball, you know, through buildings um, and he can run. So what else, now how do we kind of figure out how to, to mold that, that guy? Because, I, you know, you could argue that one of his predecessors was built the same way and had some of the, had some similar tools in EJ manual. And for whatever reason, they couldn't get that to work. And with Josh, they could. And obviously when I say they, I mean, Josh who does the lion's share of the work was able to, to develop into what he is now. So um, there was no chance that when they first hired McDermott and, and, you know, you guys, it's been well-documented that they, you know, passed and traded out of Mahomes pick um, and, you know, certainly did fine for themselves um, that, that they would have, uh, that would have uh, developed and, and elevated to this, to this point. You know, I kind of look at um, uh, Mahomes and Allen uh, from a basketball comparison to the, uh, to the Trey Young, Luka Doncic trade. Uh, where both guys have taken their teams to the precipice of a championship, haven't quite gotten there. Obviously, Mahomes has done that. Um, but that, you know, I think both fan bases are pretty happy with what they have currently. Um, and very rarely does that happen where, where, you know, especially in this day and age of social media where everybody has to make sure that everybody knows just how uh, unhappy they are 24-7. Are you surprised at all by – the star quality and, and national popularity Josh Allen has achieved coming out of this Buffalo market, or did you see that in him coming into the bills as a rookie? I did not see it. I did not see him coming into the, this coming into the bills. as a rookie. I have a, I have a good friend of mine who um, uh, was a huge Josh Allen fan when he was in college. And he's like, this kid's going to be amazing. This guy, he, my buddy uh, played professional sports. So I, I absolutely listened to his counsel on things like this because he's been around it and told me, he said, this kid, there's something there. He's like, he is a competitor and he's got all the tools. And, um, but I, I did not see it at all. I, I did not. Um, obviously when he got in, he made plays, but then it was a, a situation with like, okay, is he going to be able to um, become more of a quarterback and less of an athlete at that point? Cause I was worried he was going to, you know, get knocked out of every other game because of the punishment he was taking, even though he was making those spectacular plays. I mean, the hurdle against the Vikings is spectacular. And I think he did it again against um, Kansas city. Uh, you can't go to that. Well, very often as far, as far as the, the bills market, 
I do believe the NFL is, is market agnostic. I don't think when you see the teams that draw well in the NFL, um, yeah, you know, the NFC East does well, right? Um, and those are big, big markets. But, you know, who else? I mean, Kansas City does well. Pittsburgh does well. Green Bay does well. Um, I don't think it's an issue with, you know, the Bills marketplace um, being a, you know, a smaller town compared to some of the, the larger metropolitan cities. I think within the NFL, for whatever reason, um, it's, it's not an issue. If you can play and you're a star, then, yeah, you're a star. Scooter, do you want to give us a, uh, a prediction on the NBA Finals now that it's off your air? I guess you don't have any uh, rooting uh, production interest. Uh, what's your, not that you would lie to us, uh, otherwise, but maybe there's a conflict of interest to make predictions, uh, on, on what's, uh, what's going on your air. But now that, uh, now that we're down to the Celtics and the Warriors, what do you like? Yeah, no, I probably can't only because of my, my other job with regards to NBA TV and NBA.com. So, um, oh, that's true. I got, I got to also it. oversees both those, both those entities. Let me ask yeah. you in a different way. The NBA yes. playoffs, especially compared to the NHL playoffs, have not been as competitive game to game uh, this year. That's even been – I've seen columns written about, you know, watching them on TV. It's been more fun to watch NHL than NBA. Can you predict <laughs> whether these NBA finals are going to be maybe more entertaining, this matchup and these games, than some of what we've seen in the playoffs? Oh, I think that I, – I, I don't know how to compare, you know, versus the other rounds in a way that would be uh, – uh, well, do you think we're going to see more like, of the same or something? Oh, no, I, I no, I think – got it. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I do think these games will be tighter. Absolutely. I think that I think that these are fantastic matchups all the way around. Um, knock on wood that both teams stay healthy or as healthy as they can so that, you know, um, uh, Williams comes back and he can play. Otto Porter comes back and he can play. Uh, if Gary Payton can come back, that would be an incredible um, addition for uh, Golden State. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe Andre Iguodala even plays in a couple games later on in the series if, if you know, he's able to do that. So um, I do think that you have two defense first teams, which sounds crazy because the Golden State scores so much, but really they hang their hat on their defense. Um, and then – Everything else flows through Curry, Thompson, Green, Poole, if you will, um, with Wiggins leading the way defensively. On the other side, you've got, you know, an incredible dynamic duo with Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown that, um, you know, Andrew Wiggins can guard one of them. And then, you know, where does, does Draymond float? Um, does Clay Thompson get the assignment? Um, you know, there's a lot, lot still to be determined there. Um, but I do think uh, I do think that those games are going to be hard fought, close. Um, you know, whether we get a buzzer beater or not, I don't know. Remember, one of the first games of the uh, of the playoffs was an actual buzzer beater when Boston beat Brooklyn. Um, so there's one for you. Um, yep. I mean, so they've yeah, been good I, games. they've been good games, but but there have no. But I understand your point. There have been there have been their fair share of of blowouts for whatever reason. I mean, even Memphis, who was up 55 at one point you know, on, on Golden State without their best player in the lineup. Um, it's pretty amazing. So, uh, but I do think that there'll be, I don't, I don't want to say a return to normalcy because that, I don't know if that actually makes it is, is accurate, but I do think they'll be in a much better place 
for these seven games. And I, I and I would, Tim, I, I don't necessarily want to make a prediction on the result, but I would I would predict that with teams as evenly matched as they are and home court meaning a ton, I think both the Garden and Chase Center. Now Chase Center isn't what Oracle Arena used to be as far as a bandbox where the acoustics just you know, the ceiling was low and the, the noise would just bounce all over the place in Oracle. Chase is, is more palatial and, you know, a beautiful building. Um, but uh, it can get loud too. So I, I look forward to seven, seven really good games. Scooter Vertino, Senior Vice President of Programming and Production for Turner Sports, a man with a full plate and yet had time for <laughs> Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK. That's a true friend of the show. And uh, good luck. My pleasure. Good luck getting through your production uh, with uh, Josh Allen tomorrow without him uh, tripping in a bunker no. uh, or <laughs> taking a backswing to the teeth or, or whatever else uh, freak accident can happen on a golf course. Yeah, uh, I think the heat here is the biggest thing. Uh, but uh, knock on wood, everybody gets through uh, unscathed. So looking, looking forward to that, that uh, everyone, everyone hydrates and wears uh, proper amounts of, uh, of sunscreen. Oh, no, 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 that's not necessary. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I, I didn't want to get that. into the shampoo discussion either, but I, I, <laughs> how much time do you actually have? So uh, there's that. You can go in the archives and get that all. When you're done looking up uh, Linda Blair and, and Rick James, <laughs> right, you can Google the no poo lifestyle. Perfect. Scooter, thanks so much. It was my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you, guys. Good luck with all the shows. Take care. Thank you. CTBK is more than just a full service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. Scooter Vertino wasn't allowed to give a prediction, or I guess I should say he felt uncomfortable giving a prediction. Given Wait, his what? Role, Wait, what? Given his role as he runs NBA TV and NBA.com, he didn't want to show any kind of rooting interest or bias, so he didn't give a give prediction. I'm going to give him a hard time about that. Gets paid to give predictions. He is Tim Bon Temps of ESPN, and he is a longtime friend of the show as well. And uh, I reached out to him today and I said, How annoying would it be to ask you to come on the podcast to talk basketball at what's probably the busiest time of your year? And look at this. This is the power of Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK <laughs> that scooter Vertino the day before the match, the night that the Yankees are hosting the angels on his airwaves, uh, the night that the Western conference finals begin on his airwaves, he is making time and Tim Bontemps is making time. Tim, I can't thank you enough for doing this. 
Well, it's certainly the power of being friends with you for a very long time. So at least I can, uh, at least I could do, man. It's good. To, it's nice. This is the way I get to see you now. So it's good. I'll take Bonaventure grad, Tim Bontemps. That's He's correct. a former Buffalo news intern. Star a number of stars. 2006. Very long time ago. That was a very long a time. Great. Ago. We had a great run of interns back in those days. Marcus Yam was our uh, photographer intern that year. He just wanted to pull a surprise. Not bad. Not bad. Guys who were on the staff back then, not not doing so as well. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say that. Do you have all sorts of awards? I, I do. I do have. Uh, yeah, I got awards. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Tim, we have uh, the Golden State Warriors. Yep. With home court uh, advantage against the upstart, as many people could consider them as great as they've been. But the Boston Celtics. The survivors that they are needing seven games in each of their past couple of series, um, maybe a little bit more worn, uh, but also maybe a better defensive team. They have size. They have yep. the benefit of two games of rest in between each game, except games three and four. So there are some things that really kind of balance the scales when looking at this series. I guess I'll just leave it up to you and to Jonah, of course, because you guys know more about basketball than I do. But that's just my, you know, you have the experienced superstar team of Golden State versus a little bit more road tested. The fact that these guys do win on the road and the Warriors don't lose at home. What's yep. going to give in this series? Well, since Scooter was too weak to give a prediction, apparently, uh, which I'm going to give him a hard time about, who uh, who do you guys think is going to win before we start? Let's just start. Don't there. ask me. Warriors is what I think, but I think so it's going to be a very good series. I think it will be a great series. My pick uh, for dot com was Celtics in six. I think the Celtics are. I think the Celtics are the superior team. I think when you ask what's going to give in this series, I think what's going to give is. We have seen throughout these playoffs, the Boston Celtics physically wear down every team they play. They sort of play like a hockey team or like a sort of old school smash mouth football team where since Emi Odoka got hit there as the coach when he took over for Brad Stevens last summer, the word physicality has been thrown around a lot. It's the number one thing they talk about. I know people, you know, don't like to think that the NBA is physical anymore, quote unquote. And they think that it's like stopped being physical 25 years ago, but the Celtics play physical basketball and they have size at every position. They have speed at every position and they just wear down every team they play. You saw in the second round when they played the Milwaukee Bucks by game seven of that series, Giannis Tedekupo is the best player in the universe. He was incandescent in that series, but he was exhausted by the end of it from just the sheer toll of running into Grant Williams, Al Horford, Rob, Robert Williams, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, all these guys over and over and over again. You saw in the first round, same thing happened. The Brooklyn Nets were a mess on a lot of levels. They were never going to make that series competitive, but they ran out of gas in, even in a four-game sweep. And against the Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler was fantastic but the rest of that team could not hold up against the just sheer physical force that the Celtics play with. And I think in this fight, in this NBA finals, the Warriors are a fantastic team. I'm with you, Jonah. I think it's going to be a great series. I was hoping this was going to be the matchup because I think it's a real clash in styles. I think it's going to be super fun. 
Um, you got, got, you know, star power all over the place. A lot of interesting matchups across the board. But I think that Boston has probably the single best team in the league to guard Golden State because they've got all these elite perimeter defenders who can just go man-to-man against Steph Curry and Jordan Poole and Klay Thompson. They could take advantage of the fact that Draymond Green has stopped shooting the ball and is basically Ben Simmons now on offense. And I think the other thing that's not talked about enough is Golden State, I don't think, can guard Boston. And I think you see, you'll see as this series goes along, I think, the, the, the Warriors just don't have a lot of perimeter defensive options to throw out there. And if they try to put Steph and Jordan Poole and at this point of his career, Clay Thompson, all out there at the same time, I think it's going to be very hard for them to stop Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and these Celtic perimeter players. So I think it's going to be a hell of a series. I'm really excited for it. But I think Boston has a pretty significant edge and I think they're going to end up winning the series in the end. Covering the Celtics this season, how did they get here from a point where, you know, I think there were three games under 500 by yep. the new year, something like that, and sniping at each other. And even before the season, new coach and the change of Brad Stevens moving up to the GM, it seemed like not a rebuilding year, but a reset year, and, I, and expectations weren't tremendously high. How, how did they get to be a team that's, not only in the finals, but as you said, this is the team you thought would make the finals. It's not really a surprise at this point. It, it is, Jonah, the single most remarkable midseason turnaround I've ever seen. Maybe in any sport, but certainly in the NBA, where this kind of thing just doesn't happen. So let's go back to late January. January 21st, the Celtics are playing at home against Portland. Portland was already beginning to tank. Dame was still playing, I think, at that point, but their season was going off the rails one of CJ or Dame, CJ McCollum or Damian Lillard was out. The team wasn't very good. They come into the garden. They beat the Celtics at home. Just a, the Celtics got destroyed in the fourth quarter again, like they did so many times the first half of the season. They're 23 and 24 for the season. They've got a bottom 10 offense in the league. They've been a 500 team for more than a season and a half straight at that point. They were exactly 500 last year. They were 23 and 24 at that point, more than halfway through this season. And they look like a team, to your point, Jonah, that might not make the play-in tournament in the East, right? I thought they had a chance to finish 11th in the conference like and be in the lottery. Right, like the Lakers. Not even make the, not even make the play-in. And from that point forward, the next game they played, Jason Tatum at that point had missed 18 straight threes. I talked to him about it after that game. He was having, like, the worst shooting luck season of any player in the league. They go to Washington two days later, play a Sunday afternoon game, They won that game by like 60 points. Jason Tatum scored 50. And from that point until the end of the season, the Celtics were not just better. They were the best team in the NBA by a dramatic amount to the point where they were outscoring teams by 15 points per 100 possessions. Over that 35-game stretch to end the season, the second-place team in the league, and that's called like net rating, the difference between your offensive rating and your defensive rating over 100 possessions, The second place team was Memphis and they were outscoring teams by eight points per hundred possessions. The gap from second to like 18th was the same as from the Celtics to the second place team. They were so far and away better than everybody else. And they didn't make a crazy trade. They didn't trade for some superstar player. It just all clicked into place all at once. The defense has been historic level over, I don't know, 50 games, the second half of the season. Yep. They had the best. And that was the thing early in the year, their defense was really good. Their offense was bad. And what happened was they had Dennis Schroeder on the team, who stinks. They got rid of him. 
They had Josh Richardson on the team who was playing pretty well, but was a bad fit. Those two guys like to hold the ball, like catch the ball, hold it, and then shoot it, right? The Celtics wanted with Ime Odoka coming in to be a ball movement team, to not hold the ball and sit on it and then wait to do something with it. And that's sort of the natural inclination for Tatum and Brown is to hold on to the ball. And they're not great playmakers yet. And so the Celtics were a very much station to station team. They would hold the ball and think about it for a while. And then they'd pass to the next guy. And so it made them easy to guard. And they got rid of those guys. They brought in Derek White from the Spurs, who was probably the, the perfect guy to drop into this team as a role player. Nobody's really heard of, but is a quick decision maker, good ball mover, terrific defensive player. Exactly the kind of guy they needed. They're playing Peyton Pritchard now more because Dennis Schroeder isn't there. He's another guy that's a hard-nosed defender, who's a good spot-up shooter, doesn't need the ball. And now their team just clicks. And they, their top seven guys are as good as seven guys defensively as I've ever seen because they're all big for their position. They can switch across the board. And like you said, they, they don't have any weak links anywhere in their defense. And you go back to the Raptors team that won in 2019, and that team really taught me a lot about where the modern NBA is because to win in the playoffs in the NBA, it's not like if you win regular season games in the NBA, it's about how big your strengths are, right? Like if you have Joel Embiid and James Harden in your Philly, you're just going to overwhelm teams over 82 games because they're just really good. But when you get in the playoffs, the thing that separates the good to great teams is what your weaknesses are. And if the less weaknesses you have and the less obvious places you have for the other team to exploit, you're going to be that much better off. And the thing that makes this Boston team so special to me and has a chance to be really special going forward is they don't really have any weaknesses at all. Like they've got seven guys on defense who you can't really attack. And they've got a bunch of guys that when they have the ball on offense are threats to do something with it. There's not a single guy that you're like, that guy stinks. He shouldn't be on the court. And that's just such a massive advantage. Even this Golden State team, if Gary Payton Jr. comes back, he's a guy that, um, is an offensive liability, despite the fact he's a fantastic defensive player. Jordan Poole and Steph are not great defensive players. Kevon Ludi's not a great offensive player. Draymond Green is a non-shooter at this point. So they, they've got some things you can kind of pick at all over the place, whereas for the Celtics, they're just rock solid across the board. And like I said, you go back to late January, and there were people in their front office who I would talk to who weren't sure if they should try to sell some pieces off and you know try to maybe – stealth tank to get a high lottery pick this year and then run it back with Jason Tatum and Marcus Martin, Jalen Brown next year. Like nobody could have imagined this team would be sitting here off of the final couple months of the regular season they had, and then going through Kevin Durant, Yastetta Kupo and Jimmy Butler in the playoffs. I mean, it's just, it's been a staggering thing to watch happen. With all the things that Boston has going for it, Tim, how much impact do you think it will have on the first part of the series, let's say the first two or three games that the Warriors have been waiting and resting, whereas uh, the going, going deep or having to go seven games in each of the past two series has maybe worn the Celtics out a little bit, or at least that's a, a possibility. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see Tim. Now, I think the thing that people don't maybe haven't thought about to your point on this since game three against Milwaukee, which I'm going to look it up right now while I'm talking. That's 12 games that the Celtics have played. Um, and that's since May 7th. So since May 7th, it's now May 31st. 
So from May 7th to May 29th, the span of 23 days, the Celtics played 12 games. They played every other day from game three of the conference semifinals through game seven of the conference finals. That is a crazy stretch of games. And all those games are high leverage, physical games against the biggest and fastest player in the world in Giannis. And then this Miami Heat team with, you know, Jimmy Butler, who basically plays like a human sledgehammer and this team that's just physical and getting into your space and banging you up all the time, right? Marcus Smart had a ton of injuries. Robert Williams has been dealing with a knee issue. These guys, by the end of that series against Miami, looked exhausted. But the thing I think that while they have had to play all those games, they now basically got four entire days off before game one because it's a late game on the East Coast. It's 9 p.m. tip, so it's 6 p.m. out here in the West Coast. And they didn't play Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. And even though the Warriors have got a week and they've had a bit of an easier path through the playoffs, I think that three days is going to help the Celtics out a ton, especially because they then get another three days after that because game two is not until Sunday. And the way these NBA finals are spaced out where you have a game basically every three days all the way through, I think for the Celtics team that, to your point, has gone through this absolute ringer to get here, I think those extra days off are going to be huge for them, especially because if you look across the board, Tim, and Jonah, I'm sure, already knows this, the Celtics are the way younger team. Like other than Al Horford, every guy on the Celtics that plays is somewhere between 23 and 28, right? With the Warriors, you're talking about Clay coming off. And Horford's not playing like an old man lately either. Oh, he is playing like a guy who wants to get another contract. He's been absolutely incredible this year. Um, but Draymond Green has obviously played a ton of miles. He's had some injury issues. Clay Thompson's coming off these two massive leg injuries, right? Steph Curry is not a spring chicken. Kevon Looney is a guy who, although he's, I think, 26 or 27, he plays like he's 36, the way he moves around. <laughs> Otto Porter's hurt all the time. Like, the Warriors have the older, more injury-prone team on the whole. And so it's going to also benefit them. It certainly benefited them they have this time off before, and it's going to benefit them also that they have this, these gaps in the series. But I do think the way the finals are spaced out, if it was every other day and you just went right into the finals and they started tonight, I think it would be a huge advantage for Golden State. But the fact that from the end of game two to the end of game two of the finals, you get a full week to play those two games. I think it sort of negates the rest advantage for Boston, especially because the series starts in Golden State. And if the Celtics can just get one of these first two games, they're going to go back home to Boston feeling really good, I think, about themselves, um, you know, having home court back in their favor and with a bunch of breaks throughout this series to get their guys healthy. But – with all that being true that you mentioned about the age of the team, it does seem like the Warriors are healthier. They, they've dealt with less injuries to less important players yep. through the playoffs than Boston has. Even coming into the playoffs, Robert Williams was hurt and Tatum mm-hmm. seems to be playing through something. Um, that's why I like the Warriors. They seem like the healthier team, their chemistry and continuity. They haven't been losing pieces, which even in some of their previous finals runs, they, they get to this point and they weren't yep. like the team they were when they started the playoffs. You haven't covered the Warriors in seasons past, some of those finals trips and championship seasons. How do you see this team stacking up to previous Warriors championships? Do you, is it the same belief and the same feeling, or do you not think they're as formidable as they were in their primes? They're definitely not as formidable, but they are really good. Like, to your point, I don't think – like, we've talked a ton about the Celtics since I said they were going to win the series. I, I don't think there's going to be a walkover at all. And if you told me that the Warriors are going to win, like, to your point, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like, they're really good. But even if you go back to the pre, like, obviously, the Durant Warrior teams are way better 
than these teams, right? I mean, they had two of the 10 or 12 best players of all time. Like, obviously, now they have one, and he's older than Steph Curry. So, certainly, those, those Durant teams were as good as teams we're ever going to see, talent-wise. But you go back to those early, you know, the, 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 the first death lineup, Warriors teams, and you, I've, you watch a ton of ball, Jonah, so you know this, but those Warriors teams, everybody thinks about that death lineup when they play small with Draymond at center. The thing that made those teams so devastating was they were incredible both offensively and defensively playing that way, right? Because you had Steph and Clay bombing threes. You had Draymond Green playing point guard. And remember, the year they won 73 games, he shot like 37% from three. He was a legitimate three-point shooter then. Now he just doesn't shoot at all. But they also had Andre Godala, who was one of the elite wing defenders in the league, who's a terrific high IQ offensive player. And then they had Harrison Barnes, who I know everybody remembers him missing those shots at the end of the finals against Cleveland. But he was a fantastic low post defender. He was a really good shooter. He was a guy that could score 20 a game. And he allowed them to have the versatility to play small against big teams because he could guard Zach Randolph in the post. He could guard Kevin Love in the post. He could guard elite defense or elite offensive post options at the other end because he was this big, strong, physical wing. This current Warriors team, if they try to roll out there with Jordan Poole and Steph and Clay, and then say Andrew Wiggins and Draymond, that is a really, really small lineup with some guys you can really attack on defense if you're the other team. And like, if you roll that lineup out there and the Celtics are out there with Al Horford and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Grant Williams and Marcus Smart, the Celtics are literally bigger than them at every single position, right? Like that's going to be hard, I think, for the Warriors to hold up with over the course of the series. Like they had a ton of success against Dallas offensive rebounding because Dallas was playing really small. But when the Celtics play small, quote-unquote, they're still really big. And I think that's where Golden State could run into some trouble for me is they're going to have to find ways to negate that size that the Celtics have, primarily probably by just hitting a bunch of threes. And I think it's going to be hard for them to do that because the Celtics have the ability to stay single-covered on those perimeter players and then basically sit off of Draymond and say, all right, Draymond, you cannot shoot the ball and try to score on a four-on-five. And I think that's where... That, to me, is where the series is going to be won or lost for Golden State. Can they find ways to consistently generate offense against those Celtics lineups where they can single cover everybody? Because if they can't, I think Boston's just going to be able to wear them out and win. And to your point, Draymond Green is not the athlete he was when they won their first title and started this run. Clay Thompson after the injuries, probably Steph Curry as well, not the same. And he still kick people in the nuts, though? Does he still have that in his, does he still have that club in his bag? You don't lose that. Well, this, yeah, is, the, this, is, the, this is the interesting thing about Draymond. He's still a great player. He's going to make the Hall of Fame. However, the Warriors have won two or three games in these playoffs because Draymond either was in foul trouble or got ejected. And that's just the truth. Game two, uh, game one or two, whatever game in those first two games against Memphis, he got ejected. They won the game because he got ejected. They were getting killed with him on the court. He gets ejected. They then could have Looney out there. There was, they played differently on offense. There was not just a place for people to hide somebody. And the, the Warriors went on a huge run and won that game. Against Dallas, same thing. I think it was game two again. He gets in a ton of foul trouble. He sits out most of the second half of that game. Warriors come roaring back and win the game. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens in this series if Draymond is a liability at the offensive end of the court. Will Steve Kerr potentially sit him down for a while and go with some different looks? Because again, if you were going to pick out a guy for me to guard Draymond Green at this point in his career, it would be Al Horford. Like, he's bigger than Draymond. He does a lot of the same stuff. To your point, Tim, 
he has been, he looks like he's 25 after playing in Oklahoma city last year. Like he, he's just, I, I don't know if it's because he spent half the season at home because they sent him home to try to tank. I don't know if it's because he's so happy to be back in Boston after a couple of absolutely miserable seasons in Philadelphia and in Oklahoma city where he was a terrible fit next to Joel Embiid and then was on a team that was just trying to lose and he didn't make the playoffs for the first time in his career. Whatever the reason, Al Horford has found the fountain of youth and he looks incredible. And because they have him, I think they could just have him on Draymond. They could single cover everybody else. And Draymond is going to have to be a factor on offense in this series. Cause if he's not, I just, I just think it's going to put too much pressure on Steph and these other guys to score. And it's going to be really hard for him. I know you can't look at one-on-one matchups in a vacuum, uh, especially with Boston and the way it plays defense as yep. a five-man unit. But if we can take a look at a couple of one-on-one offensive-defensive matchups, I'll ask you the question in this way. Who will have more success as a defensive player? Marcus Smart on Steph Curry or Andrew Wiggins on Jason Tatum? I'm probably going to say Marcus Smart only because um, he's just a way better defensive player than Andrew Wiggins. Like Wiggins has done a really nice job in these playoffs. He did a good job pressuring up on um, Luka, Luka Doncic in the last round. He did a good job guarding John ja Morant in the conference semifinals before Ja got hurt. But the fact that Andrew Wiggins is being relied on to be like basically the only guy in the Warriors who could play defense on somebody is sort of a problem, right? Like that, sort of. it, that's, that's sort of where I'm coming back to. Like in that, in that Dallas series, the Mavericks got a lot of good looks. They just missed them all. Or do you they, put Draymond Green on on Tatum just to just to mess with him or just to that's kind the thing. of? I don't think they can't. I, I mean, think they they're gonna have to. Switches. They're gonna have. Yeah, no, gonna I mean, he'll he'll get some guys on switches, but Draymond at this point is sort of like. I would say sort of like like a late career Charles Woodson, maybe right. Like a guy where he's out just there. Not, he's not getting in your head. If you're an offensive player, the fact that he's guarding you doesn't get you off your game. The fact that he's just there in front of you isn't enough anymore. Yeah, he he's he's at his best putting all the pieces in the right places, right? He used to be a one-man complete wrecking crew, and he still has moments like that. Like, he's still a really great defensive player, but it's a lot more now up here in terms of moving the chess pieces around and sort of knowing, okay, I know this cup, these guys are running this play. I know where it's going. I'm going to get there first and I'm going to mess it up at the end. Right. right? I'm sorry. I derailed As, your Andrew Wiggins thought, but no, right. no, no, it's fine. No, it's fine. But you're right. Cause Draymond, like Draymond to me is the key in, in many ways. He's the key to this series for golden state because he's got to be the, the Draymond green. That was the best defensive player on the planet. The first half of the season before he had this nerve issue in his back that basically derailed the second half of his season before he came back. And he's got to be, to me, the bigger thing with Draymond is he's got to be something on offense. He cannot be a zero. Like, I know we're obviously, Buffalo's obviously a hockey and football town, so I don't know how many people were watching the Denver-Golden State first-round series. But game five of that series, for everybody who remembers when Ben Simmons passed up the dunk in game seven against Atlanta last year and set off everything that went to hell in Philly, Draymond Green had a Ben Simmons moment at the end of game five at home against Denver where he had the ball under the basket and could have dunked it and instead kicked it out. And then, of course, Draymond immediately went on his podcast and explained why it wasn't like Ben Simmons and gave all this 
all these explanations. Just, oh, no, I didn't actually pass up a dunk. I had these three things in my head. He passed up a dunk. And as I said, he struggled on offense against Memphis. He struggled on offense against the Dallas. And I think Golden State is being oversold a little bit because of their run through the playoffs. They got an injured Denver team. They got a Memphis team that can't get out of its own way and had Ja get hurt and still pushed them to six games. And then they played a Dallas team that has Luka and then a bunch of good role players that couldn't hit a shot. And I think this Dallas, I think this Boston team is way better than those teams. I think they're way more versatile and deeper than those teams. And I think Golden State can win, but they're going to have to take it up another level. And by the way, the Celtics also have to not screw it up because as we saw in that Miami series, for anybody who watched that, when the Celtics didn't screw things up and just played okay or better, they were clearly the better team. The problem was they spent at least half that series not playing okay and just throwing the ball over the yard and doing stupid stuff and nearly gave away the series as a result. So Golden State could certainly take advantage of that and go on some runs and blow them out of the building. So if the Celtics have to have the focus they did in the good moments against Milwaukee and the good moments against Miami, they have these moments where they just forget how to play and they start screwing around and trying to run the clock out late in games. Golden State will score 15 points in two minutes and they'll be in a huge hole. Where I know that we in the oh, just real quick, just because I want to, and then I'll then you have it, Jonah. Um, I know we in the sports writing business love to mix up our sports metaphors for the sake of making a point. When you mm-hmm. explain Draymond Green's inability to pull the trigger, whether it be shooting or whatever's happening, maybe it's not working fast enough in between the years. It's reminiscent to me of when you talk about the old prize fighter. Uh, the championship guy who just can't throw the punches anymore. And you wonder, and you say to yourself as you're watching him fight, why isn't he throwing punches? And it's because everything's happening just fast enough, just faster than he's, he's used to talking about a Roy Jones, you know, it used to be, you didn't think about it. And now he, it's just not happening. It just, there comes a point where the, you just don't fire. And well, well, he's never been a good shooter. But he well, used to be more. But he at least used to, to have. Da- he used to be dangerous. You couldn't. You couldn't leave him unguarded. At the, he used to three point. He used right? to your point, Tim. He used to. He used to attempt them. Right. Yeah, right? that's right. You had. You had to respect it. Now, if you watch people play the Warriors, it's like teams are playing Ben Simmons. The guy who's guarding Draymond is standing at the basket. It's basically saying, "All right, man, do your thing. We're just not going to guard you." Because you're not going to shoot the ball. And we know you're not going to shoot the ball. And if you, even if you have Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson, it makes it really, really hard if you've got a guy out there who's just not going to shoot. And, ba- and Draymond's a fantastic passer. He's a, one of the smartest basketball players I've ever seen at both ends of the court. Like he, he will maximize everything he can do, but he clearly doesn't have the same confidence in that shot that he used to. And you know, again, it's, it's all, it all goes back to what Jonah said at the beginning. Like, where does this Warriors team rank with the teams before it? For many reasons, they're not as good. They're still really, really good, but all these guys are in their early to mid-30s. They've all had injuries. They've all got bigger flaws than they used to. And because of that, they've all got to me to play up here for them to win. The Warriors, to me, can't be okay and win. They've got to be great to win. Whereas the Celtics, I think, because of their versatility at both ends, as we saw against Miami, they probably just have to be okay or a little better than okay to win. But we've seen them not have the mental focus all the time in these moments. And that's the thing 
where if they do lose this series, I think it will be to Jonah's point earlier about Golden State and the, the experience they have being here and guys like Steph Curry, who is a killer, even though people don't think of him that way, they will pounce the second the Celtics start to screw around. And we even saw in game seven, the Celtics dominated that game for 46 minutes against Miami. They screwed around for 90 seconds and nearly lost the series as a result. And if they screw around against the, the, the Warriors for 90 seconds, they're going to give up 15 points every time. Like they just cannot, they cannot switch off. They've got to be locked in every second. But if they are, I think they have the ability to slow these guys down in a way just about nobody else does. Their youth could work against them. And even though I think Ime Adoka has been great this season, especially with the results, but also the way he talks to the press and the things he said about the team. And when you do hear these little mic'd up puddles, he seems, I like his messaging. But this is his first time in the finals. He doesn't have as much head coaching experience as Steve Kerr, who's had a tremendous amount of success, obviously, coaching this team. Mm-hmm. What I think about the Warriors, I can make the quiz case for them, is that when they've been healthy and at their best this year, the first half of the season, throughout the playoffs, they really have looked like one of the best teams in the league. And, mm-hmm. and they have, you know, on-off ratings and things like that. Curry looks just as good as he always has. Klay Thompson, if not the same player, still can reach that level when he gets hot shooting the ball. I, I like what I've seen out of Draymond Green in some ways. I still think he affects the team defense in the same way, even though he's bigger and slower, doesn't, but seems to be still as effective, especially his personality. Um, but that, I, I think that could change. I think you could see their health and their stamina go away throughout this series. But, you know, I just – I'm making that point. I forgot the question I wanted to ask you. But, you know – well, I, no, I just want to ask you, when it comes to the star matchup, Tatum and Curry, they never guard each other. They're completely different players, different sizes, different positions. But that's how a lot of championship and playoff series are decided in the NBA. And it's, you know, you see Tatum's beaten Kevin Durant. He's beaten Giannis Antetokounmpo, and now he's beaten Jimmy Butler and other good players on those teams. If he finishes this run with beating Stephen Curry and the Warriors and this Warriors team that I think is still the Warriors, it's not like a fluke that they're here. Where does that put Tatum in terms of his hierarchy in the league and how we regard this playoff run if he leads this team to a championship? Well, first of all, I agree with you about the Warriors. I've talked down about them on the pod, but this isn't a fluke that they're here. They are really good. Now, they have flaws compared to where they used to be, but they're still a really, really good team, and they, they're more than deserving to your point because at the start of the year before Draymond had this back issue, they were right there with Phoenix dominating the league. But I think it's funny you mentioned the Curry and Tatum thing because I think that's sort of they they are the two best players. And like you said, they are probably Tatum might guard Curry a little bit, but they're not going to really match up at all just based off their positions, sort of like Curry and LeBron when they used to play, even though Tatum's obviously not LeBron. But they do sort of they do sort of exemplify the way I think this series is going to go, right? Where you've got Curry, who's become a decent defensive player. He's certainly not awful at that end. He's not a liability like he was at the beginning of his career, but he's maybe the most impactful offensive player ever with the way he bends the court. But then he has to, he has some defensive deficiencies. They have to work around. Whereas Tatum is as good a two-way wing as you're going to find his, his defense at times, I think is a little overrated, but he's still a really good defensive player. Who's also an elite offensive player. And that's sort of the, the team sort of mirror that, right? The Warriors have these really high highs, but these weird quirks, they have to sort of work around to win. And the Celtics win by just being rock solid everywhere. 
And to, I mean, listen, to go back to your question about like, where would this put Tatum if they win? If he goes through the playoffs, it beats Kevin Durant, Yasin Kupo, Jimmy Butler, and Steph Curry in the playoffs. That's as good of a run in the playoffs as you're going to have seen anybody have. And this guy's 24 years old. He'll have had a title. He'll probably have a finals MVP. And you'll be talking about him as one of the five to 10 best players in the NBA, probably for the next seven to 10 years, right? If he can get through and win this series and win this championship, like he's got a chance to be, you know, the guy, you know, I don't think he's ever going to quite be Kevin Durant, but he's got a chance to have a run among the top five to seven players in the league for a seven, eight year stretch, like James Harden, like Kevin Durant, like Kawhi Leonard, like Steph Curry, like LeBron James, like he's got that sort of ceiling. And if he gets this championship, that's going to sort of solidify that, right? If the Celtics come in here and lose in five games and they don't play with the right focus and Golden State does the things you, you know, you've played out as the, case, the, the accurate case for them to win, then we'll see what Tatum looks like next year. Um, because look, the other thing about this too is, well, I think the Celtics have had a harder run than Golden State. They've had some fortunate breaks too, right? Chris Middleton gets hurt again in that first round series for Milwaukee. Chris Middleton's playing for the Bucs in the second round. The Bucs are in the finals. They're destroying Golden State and they're winning a second title, I think, easily. Like, Giannis is so much better than everybody else right now. I think they would have cruised to the championship. And, and the Nets, all the issues that they had, they should have been a tough. Yeah, I mean, the, the Nets round. should have been a – right. The Nets should have been a better team than they were. I thought the Celtics were going to drill them. I told people with both the Celtics and the Bucs for the last six weeks of the regular season, they needed to focus on getting second place and not worry about a potential first-round matchup with the Nets because the real series is going to be beating the other team in the second round. And Boston did that. They got the game seven at home, and they went on to win. Um, but you're right. The Nets should be better next year. The Bucs will probably be better next year if they're healthy than they were in the playoffs. The Sixers could be better next year. Like, teams are going to be coming, right? Miami, Miami could add pieces this summer. We'll see what they do. Miami's really good. They had a ton of injuries in this series. Toronto's like, on an upswing. Toronto could be better. Like there's, there's a lot of competition in the East. Like this is not yesterday's Eastern conference when, you know, you could win 45 games to get a top four seed and everything was good. Like it's, this is turning into what the West used to be where you're going to have to go through a slug fest every year to just make the finals. That's why I wrote before game six, I wrote a piece for com talking about the Oklahoma city thunder 10 years ago. Everybody remembers that picture at the end of game five against the heat when they lost that Kevin Durant, his arms were around James Harden and Russell Westbrook, and it was like, all right, it's the start of this Oklahoma City dynasty, right? These guys are going to be back here five, six times. It's going to be LeBron versus Kevin Durant every year. This is going to be great. This is the future of the NBA. It's going to be Magic and Bird, right? Never made it back to the finals. One time, that crew. And they had a ton of bad luck. Russ got hurt. Serge Ibaka got hurt. KD got hurt. They obviously had that unbelievable series against golden state 20 Jack Eichel controversy got him. That's that's right. All the things, right. all the things that were lined up that were supposed to happen. EJ yep. Manuel didn't work out. <laughs> exactly. No, it's, it, it's that you don't, there's no certainty in the NBA in particular that you're going to get back again. Like everybody, because of the, because of how often the warriors got back and how often LeBron got there, getting their eight years in a row, the warriors getting their five years in a row everybody sort of forgot that it's really hard to make the NBA finals and it's hard to keep getting back there again and again and again. You just sort of assume because LeBron did it and the Warriors did it, that everybody's going to do it. And it's just so hard to get here 
And for this Celtics, it's, I mean, look at Golden State. They made it five years in a row. Then they didn't even make the playoffs twice. They had all these injuries. Last year, they were relatively healthy. They still lost that play-in tournament game to Memphis. Um, you know, the Celtics were a 500 team last year. They've made the conference finals a whole bunch of times and lost in heartbreaking fashion. Um, it, it's hard to get here. Even if you've got these two young guys and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, that should be good for the next six, seven, eight years and should have a chance to be a team that's contending every single year. You might not get a run like this again. You might not get health like this again. So you've got to take advantage of these opportunities when you have them, especially when you've got a team that I think is good enough to win. You know, this isn't like that Celtics team that played LeBron in 2018 when Tatum was a rookie. Jalen Brown was a second-year player. And even though that Cavs team stunk and everybody knew they weren't going to be Golden State, it's not like anybody walked out of that series like, oh, man, the Celtics didn't have Kyrie Irving, didn't have Gordon Hayward, but they really blew this chance to beat LeBron, right? It was like, oh, man, they, did, they gave LeBron everything he had, but they couldn't beat him. But this year, it was like this Miami team, they were clearly better than them. And to me, from a talent perspective, you just go down the roster, they've got the edge on Golden State from a talent perspective. And they might not have that again in the finals. So this is the time. They've got to take advantage and win it. And Golden State knows that better than anybody. I mean, that team had Kevin Durant and lost in the finals. That team won 73 games and lost in the finals. Like, it's really, really hard to get all the way through this thing. You need to be really good, and you need to be really lucky. And those two things don't always come together, no matter how good you are. And so I think for the Celtics, for both these teams, like, if Steph Curry wins a fourth championship and finally wins finals MVP when he should have won it the first time, that's going to be a huge thing for his legacy. And on the other side, if the, these Celtics guys win, they go back ahead of the Lakers and the race for the most championships in the league, which matters a ton in Boston. And for these young guys on the Celtics, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, after banging their head against the wall for years, having all these disappointing runs in the playoffs and people talking about blowing this team up over and over again, for them to break through and win, that would be a huge thing for them. So I just think this has got a chance to be an awesome series. And for all these different reasons, on the court, off the court, legacy-wise, um, storyline-wise, star power, two huge markets, two big teams, two big fan bases, I, I'm just really excited for it. I think it's going to be a great series, and I think it's going to be really, really fun to watch. It's not like a team that has five junior starters and goes to the NCAA tournament and they all come back. Listen, that's a, it's a, it is a great, obviously the Bonnies did not have the season they hope to have for a variety of reasons, but it's a great example, right? Like, ju- like no matter how good you think things are lined up, there's no guarantee it's going to repeat again, no matter what, what you've got in front of you. So you got to take advantage of the moment you've got sitting there in the first place because you're just not sure what's going to come back around on the other side. Bonovich is a great example. Like they had a, you know, they had a great year, got to the NIT Final Four. Like that was a great run, but that was a team that came into the season thought thinking we can make the Sweet 16 for the first time in 50 years, right? And instead, they didn't even make the tournament. And you know, some of that was in their control, some of it was not. But you know, that team was ranked. 16th at one point, something like that. Yep. They beat Marquette by 50 at a game I was at. Like, you know, it's nothing, nothing's guaranteed. So, you know, if, for both these teams, there's just a ton on the line from a historical standpoint. And it's just going to add all that much more to what I think is, like I said, I think it's just going to be an awesome, if you're any kind of basketball fan at all, this is going to be a really fun series. 
and it's going to be stylistically fun to watch and aesthetically pleasing. And there's a lot of big name players and fun players to watch and fun storylines. Just think it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Tim Bon Temps, you've said it all. I feel educated. Uh, it was entertaining. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, I now I. How can I listen to this and not also think the Celtics are going to win it? You are you uh, are spirited in your defense of your Celtics in six. Of course, you've got the research and you've been writing about it and covering it for months, but uh, probably fresh off of writing a writing a breakdown of it not too long ago, right? I haven't like actually had to write a. I actually haven't had to day? write a breakdown. I actually no. haven't had to write a breakdown of it, but. I get I get asked a lot who's going to win, so I have my answer ready to go. Do you have to give an official ESPN.com prediction? Do you do those grids? I do. Well, yeah. So I didn't earlier in the I didn't do it earlier in the playoffs because to take people behind the scenes with that, my editor Jim Merritt uh, is the one who asked for those things, and he tends to ask for them days ahead of time, and I like to think about it and actually like decide what I think instead of just throwing darts at the board. Um, so I didn't do it for the conference semifinals. I just tweeted it out before the start of the first game because I wanted to actually think about it because a couple of them were coin flips. Um, last round, I did it on the site because I had a fair, pretty good feel, at least what I thought, how both were going to go. So I said, I said Celtics and Mavs both in six. Obviously, Dallas did not win. Um, and for this, for this, we had to do uh, the series games and an MVP. So I said Celtics in six, and I – said Jason Tatum was going to win MVP. Um, everybody in Boston, per usual, was very mad at me because uh, I had a vote for this new conference finals MVP award that the NBA created this year. And I was, I did not know this at the Larry time because we all, yes, the Larry Bird trophy. Uh, I was the one person who voted for Jimmy Butler to win that award of the panel that voted. So uh, I respect it. Per usual, there were a lot of people on the internet who were like, this is great. And there are a lot of people on the internet who wanted me to be burned at the stake for doing that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I will see it. I'm sure the, the Celtics fans who were angry will not remember that. Uh, when I say that Tatum should have MVP in the finals now, but, um, but yeah, we had to, the short, that's a long winded way of saying we did have to give a prediction for the site. I don't know if it's up yet, but mine was Celtics and six winning on their home court in game six. And uh, I think Tatum will be the MVP of the series. All right, Jonah. So you've said golden state in seven. Now we need your MVP. I think if they, if golden state wins, it'll be Curry. He hasn't won Steph the Curry. That's right. Steph is going to, I think unless Steph gets hurt or scores five points a game, it's going to be very hard for Steph not win it, not to win MVP. And frankly, you don't, think, you don't think Jordan Poole's got a shot. Uh, look, I, We've seen the fact that Andre Godala won that award in the first time around. It still drives me insane because every every point Andre Godala scored in that series is because Steph Curry was being triple covered and totally bent the team, bent the bent the, the other team's defense toward him. So they just didn't guard Andre Godala and he scored some points and people like, oh, we're going to give Andre. I mean, that's the thing where some of these things legacy wise are just very silly. You know, people find ways to poke holes at people they want to, but and, and he guarded LeBron, know. who averaged about thirty-five nine and nine that season. Right, right, and everybody's like, "Oh man, LeBron should win MVP." But the guy who guarded him won MVP 
scoring like 12 <laughs> points a game. That's right. Like, okay. I'll tell you I mean, who I think has a chance at MVP, though. It, it, if it plays out in a certain way, it's Clay Thompson. If he has one of these. Yeah, I, d- I don't. Close it I, out. I just don't. I, I think if the Warriors win the series, it's going to be because Steph was awesome. And if it's any, if, if Steph is close with anybody else, I could, I mean, I could tell you, I, I mean, there's at least a chance I'll have a vote for this. And if it's Steph, if Steph's in the ballpark of anybody on his team, I'm voting for Steph. Cause he, to your point before, like he should have a finals MVP already. And like, no disrespect to clay, but like Steph needs to have a, if they win again, Steph's got to get the finals MVP this time. Like this whole thing that like, he's never been the best player on his team that won, won a title thing has to stop. It's just, a, it's the stupidest trope um, ever. And I, and I also just don't see a way that they can win. If Steph isn't that guy, like he's got to be awesome for them to beat this, this Boston team with this defense. Like you're right. That clay can have some really good games and get going. I just don't think he's going to have enough good games to really challenge Steph for that award. Like Steph's got to be the Steph Curry. Um, and if he is, then I think they got a good chance to win. And if they do win, like I said, I think it's going to be hard. Like the Celtics series is a good example with the heat. Tatum had a couple shots in the fourth quarter of that game. But to me, I was thinking about voting for Jalen Brown for that award. I ultimately voted for Jimmy, but with, every, with it sort of not being clear who to pick for the Celtics, everyone just defaulted to the best player on the other team or on the team to win, right? And I think in the finals, like with that award, like obviously Iguodala is an outlier, but generally whoever wins, the best player on the team is going to win the award. That's what makes the Iguodala thing so dumb. It's like he was the fourth best player on the team. He won the award. <laughs> and now everyone's like, oh yeah, Steph's number one finals MVP. It's very silly. Tim, thanks for this. We went way longer than I thought. And I say that with many guests, but this was a good, this was almost an hour. Hey, man. NBA talk. It's always fun to catch up with you guys. I miss seeing you. It is. I don't have do you have any to get back to Boston. Do you have Buffalo. any thoughts yeah, on the match tomorrow night? Uh, are you picking uh, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers? I'm uh, picking the young guys. I'm picking the young guys just because I would like the young guys to win because I am not really a fan of the old guys. So I I'll see. say hopefully the young guys win. Be nice for Josh Allen to win. Hopefully he can win a Super Bowl next year and make everybody in Buffalo happy. Um. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah, my my. I'll I'll take. Uh, I will not spend one second watching that tomorrow, but nor will I. I. Uh, yes. No, sorry, Scooter. I will not be watching, uh, <laughs> but but I, I will take Josh and Pat to uh, to win against uh, the unretiree and the conspiracy theorist. That'll be a betting underdog. I mean, do people know their golf scores? Like what? I think what? that's out there. Their handicaps, at least. I guess. Do they do this by handicaps? Or is it just straight know. golf? What? You just said scooter on. You should tell me the answer to these questions. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the previous matches, I don't know how competitive the golf is. It seems more competitive in the mic. Oh, you don't say. You don't say. You don't think, you don't think this is going to be <laughs> the, the back nine at Augusta tomorrow? I'm, I would yeah, tend they to might agree. have writers. They might be writers that actually hand some scripts. 
you know, oh, to these guys. Like, not, here's uh, if you want to get into Brady's head, here's what you say. I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised uh, one uh, one bit. What's going to happen in the hockey? Well, I don't know what's going to happen. I have my rooting interests. I like Edmonton because, uh, as I mentioned to Scooter, uh, I like the idea of Connor McDavid going as far as possible on the big stage <laughs> because playing for Edmonton and playing out in the mountain time zone. Uh, Nobody sees him play. You don't see him as much as you should in, in mm-hmm. the United States. Yes, he is. You can find him if you're a diehard hockey fan. You can find him on TV. But, not to pound, not to be a company man, but it certainly has helped the league a lot. I think that they're back on our network. I think it's absolutely, just, it's the visibility is just so much different now. Absolutely, it's great. along with TNT, I think both of those networks. Yeah, no, it's true. Cachet, and especially the way TNT does the the inside show, and they brought a little bit of that element too. No, I think it's stuff. it's been great. I mean, I've just, I mean, obviously, I've been busy covering the playoffs, but I've seen a bunch of these games just because ESPN is on everywhere and. Um, you know, and to, and to your point, like TNT's done a good job too. I've seen a bunch of those games. I was watching, uh, before I flew out here, I was back in New York last night and I got some dinner when I got back from Miami and I watched, um, I watched War- Rangers, uh, hurricanes last night. So, you know, who's going to win that series? Rangers, Rangers lightning should be a barn burner. Probably going to be the look- best goalie, right? And I'm, and I'm, I got, I'm, I'd like the Rangers to win because, and I know that people get sick of that, uh, or they, you know, the, the Gotham City and the whole thing. It's just too big. People like to root against New York, although maybe not necessarily here in the Buffalo area because there are a lot of Yankees fans here. But, um, you know, the original six, I think, uh, you know, Sabres fans generally don't want them to win. But number one, I think it's good for the sport. Tampa's had its run. It's not like Tampa needs this. I think right. New York in the final has some sexiness to it. And also there's the Chris Drury element to me. He's somebody I cover, sure. he's somebody I know. Uh, and I think it's pretty cool that this guy has become as almost, or maybe he's at least working that way to being a successful executive as he was a player. I no, think that's I mean, pretty cool. That, that Rangers team, like the fact they went from Lundquist to Chesterkin is wild. Like, this, I mean, he's a stud and they've got all these young guys up. I mean, obviously they went out and signed um, Panarin, who's awesome, but like they got all these young guys that they're playing too. like, they've done a heck of a job. I mean, it was kind of, it was kind of odd when they blew everybody out and put Chris in the job, but he's done some nice things to get them over the line here. And yeah, I mean, it, especially in, like, I know how people are about New York, but Rangers fans are awesome. And I've covered, I've covered when I was in my, at the New York Post with being in my career as one of the few people that knew hockey at the paper. I was with Larry Brooks a lot covering their deep playoffs runs with Hank um, all those years and games at the garden are awesome. Those fans are awesome. They've obviously only won one cup in what, 75 years or 80 years. I think it was 41 to 94 and then they haven't won one since. Um, So yeah, like if you get Oilers Rangers and you have Connor McDavid playing at MSG in the finals, That'd be pretty fun. That'd yeah, cool I do that. think, though, that the, if I had to predict, I think Colorado's the better team uh, because Edmonton's goaltending is really yeah. shaky. Well, McKinnon and I is think damn that good Tampa's too, the better too. team. So if I had to predict, those are my, I told you what my rooting interests are, and I think it's a flip uh, uh, if you had to make me predict. I think it'll be, uh, I think it'll be Colorado and Tampa. But 
I don't know how anybody, I, I just, I always would laugh when I would cover hockey and you, you are one of the best at it. So maybe you'll have a better answer than me, but hockey just feels like a straight coin flip every yeah. game. Like there's no rhyme or reason to it. Really. It's like puck off a skate. There's yeah. a, such a subjective aspect to the officiating. Yeah. Um, the, you, you know, know the, playoffs, the, do you think so? Cause it really seems to come down to some other factors in goaltending and well, that's what I mean. It's like the goalies, like Shesterkin got yanked from like three games in the first round, right? He was giving up like five goals a game and he was the best player in the league, maybe during the season. Yeah. And like, it's just like, just, it, there's just chaos. It's just chaos and randomness all the time. And like, I, like, obviously you need a lot of luck to win in the NBA, but in the NBA, like you can look at a series and break down. All right, here's how this is going to go. Like these matchups all go a certain way. Like you can really analyze it and see how things are going to go generally. Like in hockey, it's just like, yeah, I don't know, like one goalie plays better than the other. Like you said, Tim, a couple pucks going off sticks or skates, or there's a untimely penalty or, you know, like, you know, back in 06, like the, the damn puck gets like, cleared into the, right. Like the puck gets cleared into the stands and you lose. It's like, yep. you know, I just, or, or you have no goal in 98. Like, it's just these random it's, – it's just totally random. Like, if I was a diehard hockey fan, I, when I was as a kid, I'm not really anymore. I would just I, – I don't know how anybody survives these cup runs because it's just it, – it's just pure chaos all the time. That's the it's appeal. It's just wild. Now, no, it's awesome. They're awesome to watch, but I just – there's, like, no – you can have this incredible team all season and you lose in four games in the first round. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's just a crazy, it's a crazy two months every year, which it does make him for incredible TV every time. Tim, thanks for this. I didn't know we were going to get some hockey takes also. Oh, sure, man. What does Tim think about the bandits in the NLL? <laughs> no idea. I know, I know Tavares, his dad used to play for the bandits. That's about it. And I covered a couple of bandits games many, many moons ago. He's the coach now. Oh, is he? There you go. I didn't even know. You could have told Who's me John to Tavares himself was the coach of the team. I was like, all right, sure. <laughs> Who's sports. to say? Who's to say? Uh, Tim, good luck with the uh, with the finals and the travel. Appreciate uh, travel guys. safely from uh, from coast to coast, and uh, hopefully we get a cross pass soon. It was always uh, good to have you on and good to see your face. No, it's great, man. Thanks for having me, and I'll talk to you guys soon for sure. Tim Bontemps of ESPN here on Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants.